0: Well, the Lord is good. Amen. Easter's coming is the title of my message today. Where, when, and why? We've got six more weeks coming. Praise the Lord. And Easter's going to be here. And I'm going to start out talking about Calvary because that's the destination that Christ was headed for. From the very beginning of his birth, he was headed to Calvary. A place called Calvary. I wonder how many times he walked Jerusalem. He looked over at Calvary realizing that I'm going to be there someday. Praise God. That is going to be my Calvary. Amen. I wonder how many times he looked at that. He knew. He knew, praise the Lord, that he was going to be at Calvary. And he knew he was going to Calvary not for himself but for you and I. Praise God. Calvary was also known as Golgotha. It was, the site, it was a site outside of Jerusalem. Walls where the crucifixion, where the crucifixion of Christ made it the most important place in the, in, in the world. Actually, you know, the birth could have been important too, but it was not probably the most, but it was a very important place. Actually, it was the most important place because it was the place that we found our salvation. Praise God. Over a 2,000-year span of time, there have been a lot of changes over there. People go over, and some go over because they're attracted to where Christ was crucified. And there are many that uh, capitalize on the fact that uh, it is a well-known place, and it was the place that Christ was crucified. And uh, they capitalize on the fact that they can make a lot of money. People come in to see Amen. They have the sepulcher that's set up there and, and all these things. But over the very, very many years, over the 2,000 years, I'm sure the landscaping is different. Just look at the landscaping around here and how different it is. Many wars have been fought, many generations, many different nations went in there and changed the landscape. Praise God. And so the place is not the most important thing. But what happened at that place is where the importance is, praise God. All four of the Gospels in the New Testament covers about what happened there that day. Matthew in chapter 27 tells us, and when they were coming to the place called Golgotha, praise God, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink and mingled with gall, and when He had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments and casting lots. In Mark chapter 15, they bring him to a place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him a drink, wine mingled with myrrh. and And he received it not, praise God. In Luke the 23rd chapter... It says, and when they came to the place which was called Calvary, there crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. John chapter 19 also bears it. It says, and he being bearing his cross, went forth unto the place called the Skull, and called in the Hebrew golgotha which they crucified him and the two other with him on either side and Jesus was in the or I'm sorry and Jesus in the midst praise the lord so all f- four of the gospels tell us about the crucifixion of Christ all four of them either talk about it being golgotha or calvary praise the lord and so it was called the place of the skull in many of those places there are at least 3 thoughts on this matter. There's many thoughts, but there are three that I want to boil down to that I think are the most important. Praise God. The hill was called the hill of the skull because some say that it was a hill. Now the Bible doesn't tell us there was any hill there, but it was a hill and the look of that hill was much the look of a skull. Praise God. And that might be I don't know. Today, it's not like that. Praise God. Another concept was the fact that there were executions that were done there. And that you could go out there at any time and find somebody's skull there. They would behead people. Now, I know the Jewish people had a law that they would not allow anyone to have died and not buried them before nightfall. They pretty much got them buried before the the certain nightfall they had to put them in and that was under Exodus but to the Gentiles they probably had no qualms about what they did you probably could walk out into that area where many executions was done and find skulls that were laying around there was another concept that I find tremendously interesting And that was that, and it's pretty much documented that this was the place where Adam was buried. Amen. Adam being the first man that fell. And I find it amazing that the place that Adam was buried was the place that Christ, the second Adam, came and died. And so, praise God, it was known as the place of the skull. But whether it was Calvary or Golgotha, It was the destination in which Christ was going to go. The Bible only mentions Calvary or Golgotha or the place of the skull. Only mentions it in the time of Christ's crucifixion. And it only gives reference to it because it allows us to know where it is. And once again, I don't think, hey man, that place is really important uh, to God or really should be important too much to a Christian. You know, it's, it's amazing how we want to uh, get our attention off of Christ and what he did for us and get it on things like artifacts. We want to have a piece of the cross, or we want to go and see where Christ died. That's all fine, and you can do that, praise God, and someday I may do that. I don't know, but I don't think that's the important thing that Jesus is trying to give us here, or the Bible, Because only in these places it talked about that. There was no mention of where Christ was going to be crucified in the Old Testament. There was no mention from the disciples after the crucifixion of Christ about these places. And so the where is important, but it's not that important. For you see, Calvary was the place where Christ had to go to bring salvation to us. And mentally, Calvary is the place where we must go to receive that salvation for ourselves. We sing that song in our church. Calvary, Calvary, won't you please, please speak to me. Tell me how much I owe. I want to repent. Then a voice of echo rings clear from the hills of all Judea. Tell the lost, tell the lost, tell the lost. How many know that song? Praise God. Amen. That's an old song we used to sing, Calvary. Calvary is the place and where we must go. Hebrews 2 and 14 says, For as much then... As the children are takers of flesh and blood. We're flesh and blood. He also, Christ also himself, likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had power of death. That is the devil. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, they made themselves servants to Satan. And from that day on, they became servants of Satan. That's why we're born in sin, shapen in iniquity. But when Christ came to Calvary, he paid that debt of sins. Amen. And when we repented and been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, we now become children of God and woke in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. And so we know where it happened. So let's talk about when it happened. For us, our Sabbath Sabbath is on Sunday. We celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday. But for the Jews, they celebrated it on Saturday. Saturday was their Sabbath, praise God. It, ha- it has been, uh, it, was a, uh, it, is, it has to be a certain day, amen. Then we, if it has to be a certain day, I'm sorry, then we are in trouble. Because over the time period, we don't know what day of this week actually was Sunday, Praise God. And so I believe that the things that God has given us to in his word that he wants to be specific with, he specifically spells it out. But in the Bible, there's no actual day. I don't know whether Monday was actually their Sabbath, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. But what we can determine is it was one day out of seven. Praise God. And so, amen. Thank God. The importance of one day out of seven was the Sabbath that God gave us. Also, the time of the year is lost. We don't know whether uh, 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 Christmas or Easter or all these things happened in the time of year that we do now celebrate. But let me say this, praise God. People who struggle with that or people who make a problem over that are only taken away from the importance of it being done. Praise God. It doesn't matter when it's done, as long as you do it. It doesn't matter when the Sabbath is, as long as it's one in seven. Praise God. Let's not derail the train of getting things done for God by being picky on which day of the week it is. Well, my Sabbath's on a Saturday. My Sabbath's on a Sunday. Praise God. Well, you don't know what day it actually was, what day it was actually implemented. Matter of fact, our calendar is different than the Jewish calendar. And so with all that being said, we're not going to take any more time on that because it's not worth taking any more time on. The important thing is that you pick the day, amen, and you worship him on that day. One of seven days. Praise God. So I thank God that we know that it was 1 and 7. We do know in John 2 and 19 that Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Praise God. So we know that he was in the grave for three days. In Matthew 12 and 40, Jesus says for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we know it was a day and a night, a day and a night, a day and a night. So if you understand that, praise God, for Jesus to have stayed in the grave three full days, he would have had to been crucified in the Jewish calendar, on Tuesday, so he would have stayed the whole day. Wednesday, the whole day. Uh, Thursday, the whole day. Friday, Saturday morning, he would have resurrected. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Sunday morning. So for us, he would have had to been crucified on Wednesday. He would have stayed in the grave on Thursday. He would have stayed in the grave. On Friday, he would have stayed in grave. on Saturday. On Sunday morning, when Mary came to the grave, he was resurrected. And so, priest God, I don't think it's important what day you do it. I think when you struggle with that, you take away from the fact of the importance that it was done. Praise God that Christ died for you. Let's not get derailed because we have to understand why he did it, why he was sacrificed. Matthew 12 and 38 says, Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered and saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, for there shall no sign be given to it. But the sign of the prophet Jonas. Now they wanted. The scribes and the Pharisees wanted to see a sign. We want to see a sign. Show us a sign. Well, hey, wait a minute. He raised the dead. He touched the open. He opened the eyes of the blind. Praise God. He opened the ears. He fed the five thousand. Praise God. What sign do you want to see? We want to see a sign from heaven. They wasn't wanting to see a sign. To know that Christ was Christ they just wanted to see a miracle they just wanted to be entertained let me say something today praise God and I'm not going to mention names but we've got a lot of things that's going on in the media today we got a lot of people that are saying amen you know uh, I care so I'm coming there and do you think they would ever go there if it wasn't going to benefit their political position? Do you think they would ever care? Do you think some of these people would ever go to situations or do things or pretend like they care if it did not have? Now, I'm in touch with some of the places where They are donating this stuff. Major places, they're donating it. And I'm finding out that there are a lot of people that are donating things, but they're putting their business cards and they're putting their names and stuff in there so that when they get it, they've got it. But then they are getting packages and they are getting crates of stuff that have no return address on it. Because they just want... it to benefit them. You know, these disciples, they're saying, show us signs, show us signs. They don't want to know the Christ. They don't want to be saved. You have people today that walk with the Lord and they walk with him only, as Jesus said, for the loaves and the fishes. Praise God. They don't walk with him because they love him. They don't live for him. They just want the benefits that comes with it. These disciples didn't really care about the salvation of their souls. All they wanted Jesus to do was to perform for them. They followed him. Now you have men like Nicodemus that says, I know you're the son of God because you do the many miracles. Praise God. Let me tell you something. You've got to be careful with signs because you cannot follow signs. The Bible says, praise God, that these signs shall follow them. The problem today is it says, you know, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall pick up serpents and they won't help them or they won't hurt them. Praise God people go around picking up serpents. What they're doing is they're following the signs. They're not letting the signs follow them Okay Because you have to be careful because even Satan himself can use signs False prophets can use signs You have to be very careful Praise God because they can use signs. The Bible says these signs shall follow them. They don't follow the signs When Paul picked up some sticks and a serpent got a hold of him, he shook it off in the fire. But I promise you, he didn't go out and get the serpent and play with it. Praise God. These signs shall follow them that believe. They said, Lord, we want to see your signs. Entertain us so that we will believe. You know what he said unto them? You're not going to get any signs like that. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to do miracles. And that doesn't mean he's not going to continue to heal the sick and raise the dead and everything else. But he said, you're not going to get that kind of sign. But I'll tell you what sign you better be looking for. He said, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, our Bible uses the word whale, but that whale means great fish. And first of all, in the Mediterranean Sea, there was no whales, but there was great white shark. Second of all, a whale is too small to swallow a human being. But a great white shark is. There you go. That's all I know. All I And let's not, once again, let's not get sidetracked with all the, the things that aren't important. The one thing I know, whether it was a whale, whether God prepared a whale with a big throat, or whether God used a great white shark, he did it. And he swallowed Jonah, amen, and Jonah was in him for three days. And the Lord says, as Jonah was in that whale three days, he said, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days. Praise God. He told them, he turned to them, and he said, An evil and an adulterous generation. Praise God. The the relationship with the Jews and the Lord was noted as an act of marriage. He was married to them. And tonight, if the Lord doesn't change my mind, I'm going to be talking about a man, a man and his purpose. How a man needs to be, and I know some of you don't have a man, but you still need to know how a man needs to be. Because Christ is the same way. And so the way that the Lord looked here at the Jewish people, or at God at, at humanity, he was married to them. Praise God. And when they were unfaithful to him, he called them an adulterer. He said, an adulterous situation. He said, there shall be no sign that I'm going to give you. Praise God. He still did his miracles, but he didn't give them signs. But he said, the men of Nineveh. You see, he, Jonah was in the whale for three days. He come out of that whale... In three days he preached to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyrian Empire. It was situated on the banks of the river of uh, Tigris. It was northeast of Babylon. It was a city of horrible wickedness. The city was 48 miles wide. Its walls was a hundred feet high. And 10 feet thick and were defended by 1,500 towers, which reached 200 feet high. It was a humongous city. It contained, it was, it was uh, condemned in the time of Jonah, but because Jonah preached to them, their repentance caused them to receive 200 more years of being a nation. It was their salvation. Jesus looked at his disciples and the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, Jonah was three days in the belly's whale. He came out and preached to Nineveh, and they accepted. And because of that, their whole city was going to be saved. And then he looked at them, and he said, I'm going to be three days in the heart of the earth. And then I'm coming out. What are you going to do? Praise God. He said, matter of fact, he said, you're not going to repent. And he said, on the day of judgment, he said, they're going to condemn you because they repented. You know, in in the world in which we live in, praise the Lord, we have gradually gone downhill. I can say that we've not gone downhill in the last five years, ten years. 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I can say within the last 100 years, we've gone downhill. Praise God. We look at our situation now and we say, oh, man, it's not good. I got news for you. If you study history, it hadn't been good in the last 100 years. We've been going downhill. We've lost prayer in the schools in the 60s. We've had abortion that's been voted in in that time period. I mean, we can't look at this generation and say, oh, they're going downhill. Praise God. And with that being said, we're headed down. But I am seeing that people are getting sick of sin. People are getting nauseated with sin. And as a church... I think it's time that we start praying and fasting and getting a hold of the Lord. Praise God. Because, I, you know, they're going to get sick of sin. And when they get sick of sin, amen, they're going to start turning to God. And I think that's what's happening. That's why we're having revivals that are breaking out in areas. Because they're just sick of this, nauseated of this stuff. Praise God. That... that, TV, That come over TV and the stuff that's going on. They're realizing that this isn't the way to live and this isn't the way to act. And there's circumstances. We have people that are turning around and saying, that lifestyle is not good. It's detrimental. And now I'm having to live like this. I believe that there are revival coming. Praise the Lord. And we as a church need to be ready. Amen. We need to show them where it's at. I believe that they're not only going to come back to just confessing the Lord as their personal Savior. I think they're going to go all the way scripturally. And know that they need to repent. And I don't think they're going to take the Trinitarian doctrine anymore. They're going to understand. Amen. That that solid doctrine was what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And what they did in the book of Acts. And we're not just going to sit around and eat the crumbs from the Bible anymore. We're going to get into the real true meat. Amen. And the real true importance. Praise God. This world, I believe, is going to swing back. To the last revival. That the Bible talks about. The end time revival. Amen. Jesus told them. He said Nineveh. Three days and three nights. In the body of the earth. And I'm going to come out. And of course there was that revival. On the day of Pentecost. Jesus said Nineveh repented. After the three days. But. What are you going to do? Because they'll condemn you if you don't. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 51 said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment of a twinkling eye, at the last trump that shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Amen. I'm telling you, what Calvary did for us, it made us have the ability, amen, to have our sins washed away. It made us have the ability to repent with him, to be baptized with him, to receive his spirit. Praise God. Because as you are baptized in Christ, you become a new creature. Amen. And that Corruptible. Corruptible means it can corrupt. It will, uh, uh, you know, be corruptible. Will turn into incorruption. In other words, your body won't be able to be corrupted anymore. You don't have to worry about sin. You don't have to worry about sickness. You don't have to worry about arthritis. You don't have to worry about pain, suffering. You don't even have to worry about the mental things like depression and irritation and aggravation and all those things. Those things no longer will be a part of your body. That's what Calvary did to us. That was the real purpose of Calvary. And we cannot get our mind off that. We cannot do anything that will take away from the importance of Calvary. You know, it's one thing to understand that the Lord died for the world. But it's another thing when you come to the understanding that Christ died for me. Have you ever sat down and just really thought, Hey man, he, he died for me. I take full responsibility. I don't share the responsibility of that death with other people. I take full responsibility of that death. And he died for me. You know, when I struggle wanting to do the right thing, I think about the fact that if I sin, he had to take that sin also with him to Calvary. Now, I understand you can't continue to sin that grace may abound, God forbid. How shall we that do not want to sin anymore sin? Praise God. But on the other hand, when I struggle it helps me mentally to think that when I do that, he has to take that to Calvary to forgive me for it. And I don't want to sin. When I cause sin in my brothers and my sisters, when I do things or say things that will cause them to struggle or cause them to stumble or cause them to fall, then it puts it on Christ. I don't want to do that. I want to lighten his load to Calvary. It just it helps me. Praise God. But the incorruptible into incorruption will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal, mortal is death. We're dying. You know, from the time we're born, our bodies dying. that's why when we get older, we get arthritis and we get pain and we get suffering. We have to have knees replaced and hips replaced. We have to have those things done. Because our body is mortal. It's dying but our bodies shall put on immortality. In other words, there's no more dying within us. So this corruptible shall have put on corruption, and the mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That's what Calvary is going to do for us. Calvary is going to to swallow up death The place that Christ had to overcome death was the place of death. He had to go to Calvary. Praise God. Calvary was the place in which Christ had to go to destroy death. Amen. It was the place of the skull. It was the place (coughs) that if that part of History is correct. It was the place that the very first man that created death was buried in. Christ showed up there and said, this is where Adam had to die and be buried, and this is where I've got to die and be buried. Christ not having sin, took our sins. You know, it, it kind of really concerns me because he man. When they wanted to crucify Christ, they said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they cried out, crucify him. Pilate said, i got to let him go, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then they said something, it just blows my mind. It's, It's amazing to me how much Satan controls things. Because I can't imagine why they would say this, but they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. I'm telling you, they had no right to take their blood upon them. They were as guilty as sin, if you can use that pun. They were guilty. They had no right taking that blood upon themselves. Praise the Lord. They condemned themselves and they condemned their children and their children to a life of misery. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They had no right to take his punishment or his, yeah, his, him upon them, his blood on them. But you see, he had the right to take their blood upon him because he was sinless. They couldn't, they couldn't take his blood, but he could take their blood. And it's amazing. I don't know if in their subconscious they realize that. I don't know if Satan just kind of urged them to do that. But let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Praise God. And because of that. But Christ was the only one that could take the death away. What that hill of Calvary, that hill where skulls, where they would go out on that hill. I keep calling it a hill. It could have been a valley. I'm not sure. But that area, because the Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, you could read history or whatever, but the Bible doesn't tell us. Amen. But whatever that place of the skull was, I do know the Bible tells us that it was along the road to Jerusalem. And I do know that people in Jerusalem could look out and see that being done. I know that they would take them people out to try to show them as an example of something that they didn't want happened to them. I'm sure mothers would say to their children, if you don't want to end up in, in Galgotha, if you don't want to end up at Calvary, if you don't want to end up at the place of the skull, then you'd better be a good boy. And if you don't believe that, you go out because you can find skulls. You can find people's heads laying around. So wherever it was, amen, it was known as a place of death. It was known as a place where people end up that sinned. Praise God. And the Bible said all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know, when, when somebody dies, you definitely want to put them in a grave. If your loved one dies, you want to make sure they're taken care of, don't you? You want to make sure they're buried. Well, there were people out there that nobody even cared for. That's why their skulls were kicked around on the ground. But Christ cared for them and went. That way for them that's why the Bible says praise God that's why the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians he told the Corinthians he said death where is thy sting I know I tell you I'm 62 a lot but I am I'm 62 just to let you know where I'm at and I am getting to the age now to where I am feeling the shadow of death. A lot of the people or not a lot of people. There's people that I deal with. I don't think I'm going to die. I hope I live to be 80. But on the other hand, I've got more knowledge of death now than ever before. There are people I played racquetball with that are my age that are gone on. There are people that are dropping around me that are my age. Praise God, that just it just you know every you know once a week or so you know it just shakes me up you just never know you just don't know i mean you know praise god i uh i i drank too much i got a special kind of coffee the other day and i got it and i was just i was doing this in my hand and i'm like ooh. <laughs> Like Sanford, Mama, I'm coming home, you know, or whatever. You just never know. Death, I'm telling you, we're all going to face death. It's there. But thank God for Calvary. We can say, Death, where is thy sting? We need to get so close to the Lord that I don't care how old you are. Go to the obituaries. You can read down through the obituaries. You can find in the obituaries where 27, 12, 2 years old, 10 years old. I mean, it's just there. Age is no factor of not happening. Praise God. And so we all have to be to the place... To where we can have our security in our relationship with Jesus Christ and we can feel that we are saved and we can say to ourselves, "O oh death, where is thy sting? O oh grave, where is thy victory? I may lay this body down and I'm thinking of those that have gone on before me, praise God. You know, I'm thinking of it, and I'm thinking, you know what? They have just they've gone on before me. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Because the sting of death is sin. But when I've come to the Lord, and He has forgiven me of my sin, and He has worsted it away, that sting is gone. The only thing that death is going to do. Is be a changing room for me to have take off the corruption and put on the incorruption, to take off the mortal and put on the immortality. If you struggle with pain and sickness, autism or or you know whatever dementia or whatever, that will be gone. God is going to take all that away. Amen. The sting of death, Brother Pew, Brother J.T. Pew preached a a message sometime years and years ago. And the title of the message was, When Death Comes Too Late. There was a prophet in the Bible that said, Lord, the Lord said, you're going to die. The prophet said, no, 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 don't let me die. And he said, okay, I'll give you so many years. And those years were worse. You know, life's like a crescendo. It's like an orchestra. It plays. Your life plays. God plays it. And you're played. Praise God. There comes a time when God's going to take you home. Amen. And you want it to be the right timing. And you say, Lord, okay, whatever the time is. I could live. I could go home tomorrow and be in heaven for eternity. Or I could live another ten years, lose out with the Lord and be in hell. Praise God. I'm telling you, death should not be a fearful thing. I know I'm going to be nervous about it. (laughs) You have these people that say, well, when they died, they were nervous about it. When I die, I'm not going to be. Yes, you will. I tell you what, they gave me a job in the Brook County Courthouse. I had to go into the Brook County Courthouse and do a job up high in a jail area and in a lot of areas that... Praise God. And I was nervous about that. And you tell me I'm not going to be nervous about death? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be nervous. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get as much of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to get as much of the presence of the Lord. I'm going to get as much of the Spirit of God. So when that time comes, you know, the sad thing about it is the hypocrite, it's not going to help the hypocrite. Think about it. When the hypocrite goes to die, all the things they put out for everybody to think everything was great, it's not going to help them. They're going to know. Amen. Death. Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And I'm going to close with this last scripture. Romans 5 and 10 says For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled unto him through the death of his son. You know, we were in sin, but because of the death of Christ, because of Calvary, we were reconciled. In other words, we were made right to God through Christ. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved? If Christ reconciled us through his Son, then how much more should we rest in his salvation? Praise God. How much more should we rest in his ease? Let's all stand. Praise God. Easter's coming. Amen. Easter's coming. Where? Calvary. When? Amen. On the Sabbath day. And why? For me. Lord, we love you, God, and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit. I thank you for the people that love you and want to hear your word. God, I'm asking you, Lord, to touch God and let us depart from this place, but not from your presence. Bring us back at your appointed time, and God, we're going to give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Can everyone say amen? Amen. Mm.